All right, here we go with another message talking about faith and how it is that we are people who are all in with faith. And I've been doing through this series looking at all of these examples from the Old Testament, different examples of people that demonstrate some kind of feature or aspect of faith and what that means. Today we look at Elijah and how his faith works. Maybe you've heard the term before, tailspin, if you know what that is. It's, it's, a, uh, it's an airplane term for, for flying. And, and what happens is, you know, airplanes, when they fly and take off, they, they get air under the wings, and that gives them lift so that they get off the ground and they fly that way. As long as there is lift under the wings, the planes will fly. I don't understand how that works because I'm not a physicist that way. That's just what I read and what I'm told. However, when an airplane stalls, what that means is not stalls like the engine stalls, but the lift stops under the wings. And if that lift stops at a rate where it diminishes under one wing at a different rate than the other wing, then the plane tips and it starts spinning. That's what's known as a tailspin. And when a plane starts going down in a tailspin that way, it can be a kind of spin that is very difficult for a pilot to recover from. So it's one of those things that pilots try to avoid. If you've been to air shows, maybe you've seen who these extremely experienced pilots who can do that on purpose to demonstrate that and be able to pull out of it. But generally, it's something you don't want to see happen, to be in a tailspin. We use that term in other ways, too, not just, re- not just referring to airplanes and airlines, but, but also sometimes we refer to that when we see that happen in people's lives in other ways. Right? If, if someone lives a life where they seem to just go from one destructive pattern to another and it just goes deeper and deeper into this pattern of destruction, sometimes we say, that person's life is in a tailspin. Right? They're, they're stuck in a pattern where it's just spiraling down and down and soon, how do you even pull out of that? How do you even recover from something like that when that tailspin begins to occur when we see that in people's lives in various ways. In recent years, we've developed a new term for that, for that tailspin effect that happens in people's lives. It happens the way that that we consume media in different ways. So psychologists have a term for this. In psychology, there is a term called negative bias, Right? Negative bias is that part of our brains that just seems drawn or attached to destructive patterns. I know that sounds funny, but, but think about it. Why does anyone watch NASCAR? To see the crash, right? That's what you're waiting for. Or, or for me, I mean, I don't understand what's going on with hockey, but when the fight breaks out, then we're all in. That's negative bias. We're drawn towards something like that. It shows up in other ways, too. Think about this. I mean, if you uh, flip channels at all, you know, on on the Weather Channel, a whole channel that just talks about weather all the time, they have shows that they do that talk about. They have shows about tornadoes and hurricanes, natural disasters. There are whole shows on the Weather Channel about this because people will watch that. There's no shows on the Weather Channel about pleasant, sunny days. Who would watch that? We're not drawn to that. But they know, they know that they can make shows about disastrous events and 
people will tune in. Something inside of us is hardwired towards this negativity bias that just draws us deeper into some of those destructive patterns that way. In recent years, a new term has come along. Doom scrolling. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. You won't find it in a dictionary. However, it is on Webster's Webster's list of terms to watch. Like it might show up in the dictionary sooner or later. Doom scrolling is that effect where, you know, if you're the kind of person that gets your news online, right? So, So you're clicking on things on a computer or a tablet or a smartphone and when a story comes up, there's always a list of other stories that go with it. You can click on that and keep going, and then there's other stories, or maybe not stories, but videos will do that same thing on YouTube or TikTok, right? You just keep going and going and going, and it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper, and those things are built to keep you going in the direction that you're started on. So with the negativity bias that's sort of built into each one of us, when you click on some of those headlines that talk about something that's bad news, or filled with some kind of anxiety. There is an algorithm at work that will put more stories in front of you to click on more of those stories that keep going further and further and further. And soon, before you know it, hey, I've just spent the last 45 minutes clicking on one link after the other, after the other, going down and down and down. Doom scrolling is what they call that it feeds into some of that negativity bias that just sends our minds and our emotions into a tailspin. We just go down in that. And it impacts our faith. It has an effect on our faith. Let's take a look at that and see how that shapes up and how that works out. Today with the example of Elijah, all right? So here's a story from Elijah. I'm taking this from 1 Kings 19. Now, a little context. What happens in the chapter directly before this, okay? In 1 Kings 18 is a scene in which Elijah is on Mount Carmel and he puts on this showcase of of a showdown between God and the pagan deity Baal. Right? They, they build two altars, and the prophets of Baal pray for Baal to come and send fire on that altar, and of course, nothing happens. Then Elijah builds an altar, and he has that altar doused with water, so everything is soaking wet, and he prays, and God sends fire and consumes everything there. It's this enormous victory for Elijah and for God. That's what happens in the chapter right before this. Then, Elijah goes into a tailspin. Elijah starts doom-scrolling. Let's read about that, right? 1 Kings 19, here's what it says. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets, speaking of the prophets of Baal there, the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. 
he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up, eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up, eat. The journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai the same mountain where Moses got the Ten Commandments. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death by the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, over from Abel-Mehalah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, whose mouths have not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Doom scrolling. Right? Elijah gets stuck in a tailspin of doom scrolling. That, that he's stuck on this line that just seems to repeat itself over and over again in his head. It doesn't even seem to matter that this enormous victory has just taken place on Mount Carmel. It doesn't even seem to matter that God has just demonstrated his power and his majesty over 
the pagan gods. None of that matters because Elijah is stuck now in this doom-scrolling tailspin, right? It's, it's the algorithm that takes over in Elijah's head, and before you know it, all he can do, all his brain can do is just keep clicking on the darkest and most depressing thoughts that keep popping up. We saw it in this passage today because he repeats it, right? It, it's there more than once that he says the same thing over. We saw it, it first appeared in verse 10 where he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've put your prophets to death by the sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too, right? Click one deeper. Click another one deeper. Click another one deeper. He's doom scrolling. That shows up twice in this passage we read today, that he gives that line. It, it's sort of the, the Bible's way of telling us where his brain is at, right? The thoughts that he just keeps churning over and over and over again and can't seem to get out of. Can't seem to pull himself out of that tailspin. Elijah's anxiety is getting the better of him. And it's a repetition a repetition of, well, what turns out to be lies. None of those things that Elijah lists as happening are taking place. Yes, he's been very zealous for the Lord. Well, up until this point where he ran away from it all and he's leaving it behind. But those other things... They're not true either, right? Not everyone in Israel has rejected the covenant of God. Not everyone has walked away. Not all of the altars are torn down. Elijah is not the only one left. He's not the only one being hunted down to be killed that way, right? None of that is true. But Elijah is stuck in such a pattern of repeating these things in his own head over and over again that he has lost sight of that. Right? It just keeps going and going that way. So God steps in. He steps in and, and he asks a question. It's a question of, Elijah, what are you doing? What are you doing here? Now, now maybe we take that question literally, and, and there is a literal sense to that because Elijah went away from Judah, right? He's out in the wilderness. So maybe God is asking on that first level of, yeah, what are you doing here in this place? But I think because that question, that question which is repeated, right? God says it twice in this passage, so it's highlighted for us. I think that question also goes to a different level. It's not just, what are you doing here in this place? But, but there is a sense in this question where God is asking, what is your brain doing here? What is your faith doing in this place where you're just on this tailspin and you can't pull out of it? What is your life doing in this place where all you're doing is feeding it over and over again with this negativity bias. How did you get here? How did you get to this place where this is what's happening in your life? I mean, I think it's a legitimate question because just the chapter before this, 
Elijah witnessed and saw all the evidence he would need to hold on to the majesty and the power of God. How does his life turn so fast in the other direction? So the question that God is asking, what are you doing here? It's not just about the location, but it's about where his faith is going as well. Elijah, how did the direction of your faith turn so far like this? Right, Elijah gives an answer then, and the answer that he gives is, is an answer that sort of reveals this pattern of anxiety and self-pity that Elijah is on. I mean, it brings all of that out because Elijah's scared. He's afraid for his life, right? He gets one negative email, one threatening email from Jezebel who sends the message, I'm coming after you. One message is all it takes, and before you know it, he starts going down that path where that's all he can think about, that's all he can hear, that's all that's left. So maybe the thought for us today then is to start thinking about how that, how that happens in our own lives, right? How is it in our own lives of faith that it sometimes shows up that we start going down that same road of seeing those patterns of anxiety or self-pity start to take over because sometimes one message is all it takes and after one message, then all of a sudden, everything starts to go that way in our own heads, in our own minds, in our own lives. It's the teenage girl who clicks through Instagram or Snapchat and sees all those, you know, filtered and touched up pictures and starts thinking to herself, I don't look like that. I'm not beautiful enough. I could never be accepted for who I am, the way I look. And that pattern starts going deeper and deeper and deeper and eventually reaches a place where because other people won't accept me, God won't accept me either. Or it's the young man who's chasing the career and, and trying to get ahead in the world and looks around him and all he sees are others who seem to be doing better than he is, right? The better house and the better car and the bigger bank account and the fancier vacations and all that and compares himself to that and thinks, I'm not doing well enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not trying hard enough. I'm not reaching that level of success. And before you know it, starts thinking, I'm not good enough for God either. I haven't done enough for God either. I haven't proven myself to be worthy enough for God either. You see, we start clicking down those doom-scrolling paths, and it does impact our faith at some level, in some way. You know, it can go the other way, too. It's not always the, one where, they're not always the ones where we go in the pattern of thinking we're not good enough or that we don't have what it takes. But sometimes it goes in the way where we start applying that to other people, right? Sometimes we start clicking down those paths in ways where, where we begin to see that 
anxiety that creates some division. But there's so many people in that world who, who I disagree with. There's so many people in the world who, who think about things other than the way I think about it, whose opinions are so different from mine. And, and before you know it, it brings itself to a point where we say, only people who think like me can be Christians. I've heard versions of that as people have spoken that, right? I know we don't maybe think that one out loud or consciously, but that's the direction it goes in. Sometimes we go down that pattern too, that pattern where we start going down and down in this path to where in some way, at some point, at some level, it starts to disintegrate our own faith. That's where Elijah was at. That's where Elijah had found himself, right? In that point where he had gone down that path and it was disintegrating his faith. And that's where God comes in. Right? It's not that God waits for himself to pull out of it. God doesn't say, you know what, just work this one out and you know what, when you get through that, come on back, I'll be there. That's not what happens. God goes after him. Even in that darkest place where Elijah finds himself, even in the midst of that, that's where God goes to him, right? God finds him there. And God gives him a message, not a message of, hey, Elijah, knock it off. You know what, just pull yourself together. Come on, Elijah, get up, come on. But God comes to him and gives Elijah exactly what he needs in that moment. There's a couple things that happen in that, right, in God's response. The first thing we see in this passage is that God gives Elijah a space to be refreshed, that he's out in the wilderness, he's exhausted, and there is a space then where Elijah needs to be refreshed, needs to unplug for a bit, needs to power down his smartphone, turn off the cable television, switch off the talk radio. Elijah needs that break, that space. So some of that is provided. An angel comes and gives him food and water, and he finds some refreshment there simply by breaking away that God comes and refreshes him. Sometimes we need that too, right? We need that space where we can break apart and say, God, I just need to be refreshed. I need to be refreshed by you. Refreshed by your word in my life. Refreshed by the prayers of others around me and with me. That we need that space where God can refresh us too. And then there was a space to hear the word of God. That's interesting in this passage, right? That when God, when, when Elijah is on Mount Horeb and God comes there, that first there's this wind and then there's this earthquake and then this fire and God is not in any of those things. You see, this, this is a parallel that comes from Exodus because Moses experienced the same thing on this same mountain. But when Moses experienced it and all the Israelites saw it, God was in those powerful acts, wasn't he? That God was in the storm and the earthquake and the smoke and all of that back in Exodus. That they knew the voice of the Lord thundered in that, but not this time. Because Elijah needs something 
different. So even though all those same activities take place on the mountain, this time, Elijah hears the word of God in the silence, in the quiet. Right? It, it's the reminder that for at least the place where Elijah was at, where in this tailspin of doom scrolling over and over again, what Elijah needed and what God gave Elijah was that moment of silence to simply switch everything off. And in that moment of silence is where Elijah hears the voice of the Lord, hears the word of God in that time and in that place. Sometimes that's what we need in our faith too, right? That we need those moments where we just need to get out of the noise, out of the busyness, that we need God to provide for us what he provided for Elijah of those moments of quiet, of silence, when God's word is open before us, when we read and hear how God has revealed himself in his word. That's what God does for Elijah. It's what brings Elijah out of that. And God gives Elijah a message in that, right? I mean, he tells him, here's what I want you to do. Go anoint these couple of people, and they're going to do these jobs. And then concludes that passage with that reminder. Elijah, you know all that stuff that you said in your little doom-scrolling rant? You need to know the passage ends. There's 7,000 who still remain in Israel who've not bowed their knee to Baal. 7,000 in the Bible is, is one of those symbolic numbers, right? It's not meant to be a literal numerical value. It's meant to point to something else because it's the combinations of the number 7 and the number 1,000, which are both incredibly symbolic numbers in the Bible. 7 being the number for God's divine activity on earth, that when God is doing something within the people of the world, within the creation, the number 7 symbolizes that. And the number 1,000 being a number that's bigger than you can count, right? So when the Psalms say that the Lord is the shepherd of a cattle on a thousand hills, it doesn't mean actually 1,000 hills. It means all of them, more hills than you can count, right? That's what God is saying in this passage right here. He's saying to Elijah, you know what? There are still people who I'm working among in this world, and it's more than you can count. God is assuring Elijah that there's not any real danger of God's people being taken away. There's no actual threat to God's church, his called, his gathered people being wiped out of existence. That's what he's assuring Elijah in this. He's reminding him again that, Elijah, you are one of those called people that God has planted his seed of faith in him as he does with so many others. And in that moment then, what Elijah needed, what his faith needed, was that refreshment, that quiet, that silence, that word of God to remind him, to refresh his soul. Sometimes that's exactly what our faith needs too. Right? 
So if there's one practical thing, one practical thing I would say, you know what? Keep your eye open for how doom scrolling shows up in your life. Whatever that looks like, right? Whether it's, yep, I'm that person who all my news is on the internet and on the phone and I just keep clicking and clicking and clicking. Or you're that kind of person who it's, it's the cable TV channel that's all this way or all that way and the stories just keep going and going and going. Or the YouTube videos keep playing the next and the next and the next. Or the talk radio show goes to the next and the next. What are those things in your life? Because we all live in that world of negativity bias where there are things out there targeting us to be in a tailspin. So identify that. Where is that in your life? Where does that show up? What does that look like? Then find a way to break from it. Take a break. Pull aside. Cut the noise. Spend time in the silence with the Word of God so that your soul can be refreshed, your faith restored, because that's where God will meet you. That's where God comes to us. And that's where God refreshes us to call us back again. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word and the reminder in your word that if we, are, we are people who head down paths that only seem to reinforce our own brokenness sometimes. Lord, remind us in that, that you come to us. No matter where we are, no matter how far we may think we've fallen, remind us again that we are loved. We are forgiven. That through your righteousness, you accept us. Lord, remind us of all that you do for us so that our trust in you can be restored. Even in those days and in those moments where we don't see things unfolding the way maybe we would like to see them. But God, may we always trust in you. Build our faith. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.